you have your Bibles, turn with me to Jonah, chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. Jonah, chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. We've been looking at Jonah, and we still have several weeks yet to go. Uh, kind of remind us of the story. Jonah was called by God to go to Nineveh, and instead... Jonah gets on a ship in Joppa and starts across the Mediterranean Sea to go to Spain, Tarshish. Somewhere in that journey, God sends a storm, and the prophet is eventually thrown overboard and swallowed by a whale. Jonah was in the whale for three days, or a large fish, and then is spit out. And he still has to make this journey some 600 miles. So Jonah is now spit out on the land. And he is now embarking to go to Nineveh. Now what we learn today in our story is, first of all, we must obey God. And this is not a misprint. This is how the Hebrews uh, write the word God. They think the name so holy that he can't, they can't say it. So in honor of that, we must obey Yodehavev, Yahweh. Now you'll notice here in verse 1, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. The word, Deval, means a direct communication. We've seen this before. In chapter 1, God communicated directly to Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh, and I want you to preach the message that I will give you. So this is a direct communication. Jonah could not have dismissed this as some mirage. Jonah was getting a direct message from God. Then the word of the Lord, Yahweh. This is a word of uh, Adonai, which focuses on his covenant relationship with his people. So Jonah now is getting another chance. Notice he says here, a second time. Paul Mackerel is right in his commentary. There are so many ways in which the Lord could have spoken to Jonah. He could have reminded him of the disastrous surrounding in his first commission. The Lord could have warned him that, uh, that he was about to get one last chance to prove himself. He could have reminded him of his own vows in 2.9, or he could have sought to persuade him of the benefits of obedience and the need for Nineveh to hear the message. Instead, God just tells Jonah to go. You know, God really is a second chance God. He gives people second chances and he is giving the prophet of God a second chance. I don't know if you've ever been on the beneficiary end of a second chance, but I tell you what, God is in the second chance business. He is also in the third chance, fourth chance, fifth chance. No matter how far you have wandered, no matter how far you have gone from God, God is always welcoming those who will come back to him. Jonah now is the benefactor of this. The word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. And notice in verse 2 what he says. He says, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. Kuvav mem is the Hebrew word for arise, which means something to this magnitude. Stand up and halak is to go. So he's telling Jonah, I want you to stand up now, even though Jonah's laying there on the beach. I want you to stand up, and I want you to go 
and do what I've told you to do. This is the exact same message that Jonah has already heard. Listen to chapter 1, verse 2. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city. This is the second time. God did not change the commission. He did not alter the plan. God's plan was for Jonah to go to Nineveh and to preach against it. Now, he calls it the great city and to call out against it with the message that I give you. Now, here's what Jonah would have seen when he came into Nineveh. This is a recreation. what Jonah would have encountered uh, archaeologists have put that all together and uh, you could see that it was quite a daunting place and maybe that's why Jonah was afraid to go the first time uh, certainly the message that he had to preach Jonah's challenge in this call was threefold one the location was Nineveh over 120,000 people it was a godless city it treated its captives horribly. It was full of idolatry. It was full of sensuality. It was godless. And this is where Jonah was called to go. And by the way, the culture in which we live today is no different. This is the same culture in which we are called to go into. We live in a world that does not know God, and so all things go for them. But we are the ones called to go. Then there was the messenger to call out, to make a public proclamation of what God would tell him to do. That was a very difficult message, yet 40 days Nineveh will fall. Then there was the actual message. And notice here, it was God's message, not Jonah's. By the way, I preach every Sunday. And even though I write the sermon and I outline it, it's still God's message. This is why I spend so much time dissecting and pulling the words out, make sure the meaning is correct, because I want to preach God's message, not mine. And so Jonah now is called here. 
He says, the message that I tell you. 2 Timothy 4.2 is very personal to me. When Paul tells Timothy, preach the word, be prepared in season, out of season, correct, rebuke, and encourage with patience and long-suffering. These words right here, in season and out of season, means when it's in season, that is, when the message is good, and out of season is when the message is tough. Jonah now is going to preach a message that is going to be out of season. It's going to seem extremely difficult. But Jonah's call, his mission to go, if you will, is to go to Nineveh and call out against that great city. Now, his mission. God is a God of second chance. Praise God. He gives us a second chance. But then there's the actual mission. Now, notice, Jonah's changed now. The first time he rose, <laughs> he went... He went uh, west. Now he rises and he goes east. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of God. This is fascinating too. This is some of the terrain that Jonah would have encountered. Another fascinating, uh, fascinating bit is it was five to 600 miles from Joppa to Nineveh. Now on camel, that would have been roughly 30 days. Walking, of course, it would have been much longer. So Jonah is in Joppa, and he's getting ready to make this voyage that God has called him on. And it's a difficult voyage. A lot of peril could happen along the way. You know, when I, when I think about our own personal lives, the missions that God give us are usually difficult. To share the gospel in a world that doesn't know him is a difficult task. To live for Jesus in a culture that needs to see Jesus is a difficult task because we have so many things pulling against us. Jonah now, the prophet of God in Joppa, having been spit out of the whale, he is now walking towards Nineveh. And I wanted you to see some of the, some of the terrain that, that he would have been in, encountered there. Now Nineveh, this is also very fascinating, now, Nineveh was an exceedingly great city. Three days journey in breadth. Now, this word exceedingly, you're going to recognize this Hebrew word when I tell it to you. Elohim. It says here, now Nineveh was a God great city. Translators are baffled by this, but most scholars say it is a reference to the city of God. Other scholars, which I am in the, 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 the mind of, is a city belonging to God. It is ownership. Yet we say, wait a minute. Nineveh is a godless city, and yet God is claiming ownership of that city. Yes, God created the people in Nineveh. And of course, they are his people. They're not in a relationship with him right now, but they are created by God for a relationship for him. So when we read this, now Nineveh was a god a God city, we are talking here about changing the dimensions of the way we look at his mission in light of what God told him to do. God wanted to capture the city for himself. And he wasn't going to use an enemy uh, in invading at this point uh, like the Assyrians did when they went into Israel. No, no, no. God was going to do it through a simple message. You say, well, how could God, how could God 
preach or want to preach to a city that is godless, that is full of idolatry, that is full of sensuality? How could God possibly want to do that? Because God is in the second chance business. God is a God who loves his creation. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have eternal life. There's, there's not boundaries on that, brothers and sisters. There's not, uh, okay, it's just for this group of people and not this people. No, no, no. God loves everybody. So it should not surprise us that the God of the Old Testament that is, seems so external would still want to have a relationship with people who were godless. He wants that. Now this three days breath, you remember that little video clip that I showed you uh, Nineveh was not, it, it, it wasn't three days breadth like that. So the question is, <laughs> how do we get this? The Assyrian king Sennacherib, uh, 704 to 681, he was a very important king, Assyrian king. He enlarged the city from 9,300 and 30 cubics to 21,815 cubics. You say, well, what, is that, what does that mean? What well, means this? From three to seven miles. Now, simple math will tell you that you are not going to spend three days walking seven miles. So there has to be a solution to this. And I think there is an easy solution. When you look at the geography, here's Nineveh. Nineveh is, you could say, the capital of Assyria, but there was a metropolitan Nineveh. Kind of like if you go to Chicago and you say, well, there's Chicago, that's the city, but then you have the suburbs, and then Chicago becomes rather big. So here you have the metropolitan area was Kalu, Asher, and Durkalamalu. So you have this area right here. Now you are talking three days. Now you are talking three days. So the message that Jonah was to preach was not exclusively Nineveh. The text here says it was three days. The only way that you get there is by doing the triangle of the metropolitan area. And therefore, you could say it was three days. Now that's a difficult task. And that, that would be a very fast-moving three days on that geographical area right there. So the scripture is absolutely right. And by the way, this is confirmed in Genesis 10, 11, and 12. It talks about the foundation of Nineveh. You know, when I thought about that, about how Jonah would have had to start out here and make the walk, that's tough. That's a tough thing. You know, Jonah's dealing with a lot of inverse adversity here. But there's one, there's one thing that really sticks out. God is the one authoring. Even though there's difficulty, it doesn't mean that God is not with Jonah. Jonah is very much in the divine will of the Heavenly Father. And now, God has given him a God-sized task to accomplish. And by the way, God has given this church a God-sized task to accomplish. Our job is to reach our city and beyond with the message of the gospel. 
So we must obey God, but a second thing that we learn is that we must fulfill our purpose or our task, if you will. So Jonah arose and he went to Nineveh according, or I'm sorry, that's the verse before that. Verse four, Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey and call out, yet 40 days Nineveh shall be overthrown. Wow, that's a tough message. Now notice it said he had gone in a day's journey. So most scholars believe that when Jonah started out, he started talking to people along his journey and probably met with some dignitaries, which was common in the day. And he began about one day's journey, and then he called out, Nineveh, yet 40 days God will destroy you. Nineveh, yet God, God will destroy you in yet 40 days. And so Jonah now is yelling out the mission. Now this was interesting because they, they got Jonah right away. Why was that? Do you remember the whale? Well, when Jonah was in the whale, this is proven, when Jonah was in the whale, temperatures were about 100 to 105 to 110 degrees inside of a whale. You have acids that are floating around inside that whale touching his skin. So when Jonah was spit out, he would have probably been bleach white. Now when Ninevites see this guy coming that is bleached white, hey, we've never seen anything like this now. This guy's different. Whoa. It's quite possibly they thought they were seeing a ghost when Jonah was spit out. The word overthrown is very interesting as well. Haypack. That can mean judgment and overthrowing something, or it can refer to a change of heart. You could overthrow it with an enemy, or you could overthrow it with a change of heart. Forty days. So here you have an issue where Jonah's saying, yet yeah, 40 days God will be overthrown. And it, this word is so uh, uh, pliable that you can move it in either realm. So you have, a, you have this issue. You have, yet yeah, 40 days Nineveh will be overthrown, because Jonah's speaking Aramaic here. Yet 40 days it will be overthrown, possibly by an enemy, or 40 days and God will capture the city because of a change of heart. Who's the decision on? It's on Nineveh. You can have it either way. My gosh, that's the gospel today. That's the gospel today. You have a, you have a choice. You can either choose to accept it or you can choose to reject it. And if you, if you accept it, praise God, you're in the family of God, you're on your way to heaven. If you reject it, you got problems. Nineveh, this could have gone either way, and I think, I think, I think it was added here both directions. Either it was going to be overthrown by an army, or God would capture the city based on the repentance of the people. But it was a warning. There's no doubt it's a warning. And you've you've got this guy that's fully white, bleached from the whale, 
uh, standing and preaching God's message. Yet 40 days God will overthrow Nineveh. Overthrow, he could mean, okay, change of heart possibly. Well, we have to decide. And so, Jonah preaches. Now, one commentator said, one scholar said, he didn't make it very far before the city immediately. And by the way, scholars would agree that this is the largest Gentile revival in the Old Testament. There are none to parallel it. And this was absolutely true. I'll answer the question, was it real? Was it genuine? Or was it because they saw Jonah, who looked bleached white all over, looked totally different? Uh, was it that, or did they really, really, really repent? Okay, here we go. Belief. And the people of Nineveh believed God. Those are the nicest words I think I've read in the Old Testament in a long time. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast. They put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. By the way, this word believe is Aleph Memnun. Aleph Memnun. And it means to put, listen to this, it means to put faith and trust in what God had revealed. This belief was inward. Now you have fasting added to this, which was a symbol of affliction and mourning. By the way, the second one is mourning of the heart. And then you have the third, which is sackcloth. I want you to think about an entire city parallel, paralyzed. Jonah comes in and says, Yet 40 days Nineveh will be overthrown. What's your response? The people believed God, and this would have been the scene all over Nineveh. Again, one of the greatest revivals in the Old Testament, and a Gentile revival. Gentiles who spoke Aramaic. And God reaches out to his sworn enemy to redeem him. That kind of sounds like Jesus. Love your enemies. Do good to them. Help let them see the cross. God is the same today as he was yesterday and will be forever. Nineveh brought to its knees by the messenger of God. Wow. Now, it says here that they wore sackcloth. That was made out of uh, usually goat's hair. Um, wearing sackcloth, there's four things you need to know about it. Number one, they wore it during times of national distress. This could be one of those times, but probably not. That was worn when there was a natural disaster or those types of things coming. Secondly, captives wore sackcloth. When you were, can you imagine just putting on sackcloth how embarrassing that would have been as a captive? Ironically, the Ninevites did this. The Ninevites were horrible. They beheaded people. 
They killed them. They humiliated the enemy. And now what we see is Nineveh itself is wearing sackcloth. Wow. During times of mourning, you would put sackcloth on and you would put dust on your head. It was just a sign of, of mourning and grief. But the last one here is, I think, the one that fits. The fourth purpose of wearing sackcloth. A sign of repentance. Here you have the people of Nineveh believed. Aleph Memnun. They believed God and his messenger. And the message. And as a response to that, the people called for a fast. And we'll see next week it's expanded by the, by the king. But these people had been cut to the quick. They had been hit to the heart. They had been transformed by a message of, yet Nineveh in 40 days will be overthrown. Your choice, Nineveh. You make the call. It'll either be God invading or God invading your heart. You make the decision. Whatever you want to do, it'll be done at the end of 40 days. Now the big question is, Pastor, can you honestly expect me to believe that a pagan culture that is outside the covenant realm of God could possibly be brought into the fold of God and to say that the Ninevites, this, this really took place. Okay, that's a fair question. That's a fair question. Let's examine that. In Genesis 15, 6, and he, Abraham, all of them knew, believed the Lord and it counted to him as righteousness. This is the exact same word that was used for the founding father of our faith, Abraham, who believed God, exactly the same word. So when you hook those two together, you get the idea that maybe the belief was genuine. And by the way, it's awfully difficult at times because when, when we do the sinner's prayer with people, you re do realize that, that we can do the sinner's prayer and the person can pray it, but that doesn't make them saved. Do you know what makes them saved? If they believed in what they were praying and who they were praying to. That's the difference. You, I, you know, I can come up here and baptize 100 elephants. That doesn't make them saved. We can share the gospel message but only the person knows if they've really believed it or not. Here, it's clear to me that the Ninevites had the same belief that Abraham, our founding father, had. Now what do you do with it? Oh, and by the way, I don't want to get cocky with this, but I'll give you something else to chew on. Luke 11.32 For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. You know who said that? Jesus. Uh, the word repented means turned. Jesus acknowledged that the Ninevites' conversion was real. Here's another bit of information you can't find in commentaries, and you look in encyclopedias, biblical encyclopedias, you will find it. But this is very curious. This next one is very curious. 
it's 30 to 40 years before Assyria is mentioned again. This people had a, an encounter with God. They had been saved by God through the message. And there is no doubt in my mind, and of course a corrupt generation came on after this, but these people had an encounter with the living God, the Elohim, the Adonai, and he had changed their life. And that's exactly what salvation is. That's exactly what salvation is. They believed, yes, they were pagan. Yes, they were godless. But guess what? So were some of you and me. We were without Christ. I don't care how good you think you were. You weren't good enough to get into heaven. And when you believed God, He shed you out of the realm of darkness and brought you into the realm of light. Now let me ask you a question. Could God save a people that were once enemies of him? Yes, he can. And guess what? He's still doing it today. You need a biblical example of this? One of my favorites. The Apostle Paul, while breathing out church or threats against the church, imprisoning them, having them killed, the Apostle Paul on the road to Damascus saw Jesus Christ, forced him to the ground, blinded him where he could see again in a relationship with Christ. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And he was radically changed. So to me, to me, when you think of Nineveh, oh yeah, I get it. You think of the Ninevites who were godless, who were, who were killers of the nation of Israel, who were, who were horrible. I get all of that. But I tell you what, at this point in time in the nation of Assyria, these people had a God moment. And they were transformed. Mm. Doesn't, that do, doesn't that encourage you? Doesn't that encourage you that, that if God can reach Nineveh, He can reach America? Doesn't that give you encouragement? That when you go to work Monday morning and, and you may be asked to share the gospel with a person who, who is, for all practical purposes, not saved, who does all kinds of ungodly things. But doesn't that give you hope that, wait a minute, maybe God's arm is not too short that he can't save Ron over there that I work with, or Sally, over that I can get them, because if Nineveh can get saved, anybody can get saved. That includes family members, that includes friends, that includes co-workers, that includes anybody that you come in contact with. I want us to change our focus for a minute. I want us to change our focus because we are messengers for God, whether you want to call it that or not. When you are out in the byways and highways of life, you are the message of God. And we have got to take the message of God everywhere we go. I'm so proud of Emmett. He told me this story years ago, and I hope it's okay if I use it. But Emmett was walking by a bar, a bar over there, walking by it every day. And one day he felt God telling him to go in and witness to a man inside the bar. Thank God, Emmett. Thank God. 
because that guy got saved. And Emmett was willing to suffer. Why was Emmett going into the bar over there? Why was he over there? I bet you Jesus would go into bars because we look at Jesus' life. He would go anywhere where there were sinners to try to get them to be saved. It doesn't mean we have to participate with them, but it doesn't matter. And God sent Jonah, yeah, a wayward prophet who would understand what it should mean to get a second chance. Perfect guy for the perfect mission that God had for him. Perfect. And then there was a citywide revival. Let's start praying for that. Let's start praying that God will move mightily in our city. Let me close with this. Sometimes God calls us to do difficult things. And, you know, putting it practically, it could mean, and then sometimes God just calls you to do things. The other day I was driving north on 57, and just to give you an example, I saw a truck go over this way, and I was going under 57, and for uh, just a brief second, God said, pray for that driver, so I did. That's an easy task. But sometimes God speaks to you and says, I want you to go next door to your neighbor and I want you to share the gospel. That may be tough. Or God may call you to do something tougher than that. The second thing that I want to tell you when God calls you to do something that's difficult, don't negotiate. Jonah didn't negotiate at all. Go to Nineveh. I know Nineveh's that way, but I'm going this way. Don't negotiate with God and say, well, Lord, if, if I can do part of this, I would don't negotiate, just obey. Obey is always better. Obedience is better than sacrifice. Did you know that? To obey is better than anything. So if God's laid something on your heart this morning, brothers and sisters, you got to do it. Now I'll tell you this, so that you get a little comfort. Just like Jonah, God will go with you. You will be okay. He's there with you. The Holy, and We have the advantage today of having the Holy Spirit who goes with us. And in those times when you go, I don't know what to say, the Holy Spirit will help you to teach you what to say. Did you know that's in the New Testament? <laughs> the Holy Spirit will give you the words to speak. Here's the other thing. Jonah had to wait, but he saw it. Do you know what? God can do amazing things through our obedience. Jonah doesn't look like the same guy we saw in chapter 1, does he? The guy in chapter 1, you remember I painted the picture that Jonah was far from God. Now I see a guy here, the prophet of God, who is now doing what God tells him to do. And what happens when God told him to do this? What happens when he obeyed? Look at the awesome thing that God did through Jonah. 
the largest revival in the Old Testament took place because Jonah said, okay, God, I got it. I'm on it. Let me go. I know it's going to take me 30 days to get there, but Lord, I'm on it. And he probably looked like a horrible mess by the time he got there. I wonder how many blessings we miss. I'm just throwing this out here. I wonder how many blessings we miss because we didn't do what God told us to do. When God calls us to do something, no, don't negotiate it. Don't try to uh, work out a deal with God. Just do what God tells you to do. And, and to know this, that God can do amazing things when we are obedient. So today, if you're here or even watching by Facebook, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, today is the day of salvation. And I don't care how far you've gone from God. I don't care where you are in your walk. If you're strung out on drugs or whatever, God can save 